Working Class Audio is brought to you by Universal Audio, Audio Technica, Lauten Audio, Focal Monitors, and Gearsluts.com. This is the Working Class Audio Podcast, Session 153. Working Class Audio, navigating the world of recording with a working class perspective. Here's your host, Matt Boudreaux. Hey, thanks, Chuck. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Working Class Audio Podcast. This is episode number 153 you're listening to. And my guest today is UK-based mastering engineer Katie Tavini. Uh, Katie recently wrote what I think is a great opinion piece in uh, Audio Media International uh, on their website. And it has to do with supporting your fellow engineers, your peers, if you will. Uh, instead of casting judgment on them over the gear they use and instead judge them based on the work they do. I don't know, that just resonates with me in a great way. So uh, after reading that article, I had a look at her uh, website and sent her an email and invited her on the show, and she said, absolutely. So uh, we chatted a couple days ago about mastering, of course, and clients and money and health and marketing. So uh, yeah, Katie Tavini coming up here on the Working Class Audio podcast You know, we are in the month of November as I record this, and of course, the term Black Friday is on many people's minds when it comes to getting great deals, and that's, you know, what are you going to get on Black Friday? So for the audio-centric folks, here's a couple of ideas for you to check out. Uh, The folks over at Sonarworks uh, have a Black Friday deal coming up, uh, so make sure you pay a visit to sonarworks.com for further details when it comes time to visit them. I'm a user. I'm a fan. I have been for a while of, of the Sonarworks system and recently installed the update that uh, they just released, which is the reference for release, which allows for a system-wide application of the room correction. I'm very happy with it. Clients seem to be happy, that's for sure. Uh, mixes are, and mastering is translating quite well. Uh, another deal for the month of November is over at uh, groove3.com. Really cool. Uh, I don't know if you've ever spent any time over there. They have a video series that is uh, super cool. You, you might agree with me. It's a series with uh, former WCA guest Al Schmidt. It's all about microphones and how Al approaches picking microphones. Ed Sherney does a little bit of interviewing with Al in the series. And uh, after watching the opening video in the series, I think I'll be subscribing, which you can do for $99 for a year. Right now, they're doing kind of a, a November thing, I guess. Not all that familiar with them, but... Um, Yeah, they seem to have some cool stuff going on over there. Before we get to the interview with Katie, just a reminder that if you head over to uaudio.com, Universal Audio has a deal where if you buy and register any new Apollo rack mount interface, that could be the Apollo 8, 8P, the 16, or the Firewire. If you do that, you'll get a U82 satellite octo or quad DSP accelerator uh, free. Kind of cool. That goes through December 31st, 2017. Uh, also be sure to head over to gearsluts.com and check out the Audio Life subform that we sponsor, of course. Gotta mention that. Let's see, Thanksgiving is this week in the United States. So I want to wish a happy Thanksgiving to all of my US listeners and just uh, wish you safe travels if you're traveling. I'll be in Colorado celebrating with my family. And uh, yes, looking forward to that. Looking forward to just chilling out, relaxing with the kids, the families, doing that thing. So I hope it's a good time for for all of you. And uh, hey, if you're not celebrating Thanksgiving, I hope it's a good time for you anyway. Uh, That's it. So um, let's jump into our interview here with Katie Tavini here on the Working Class Audio Podcast. Welcome to the podcast, and thank you so much for taking the time to, to talk with me today. I became aware of who you are 
actually because of as we were talking earlier before the show started uh we were talking about uh our mutual friend ian shepherd ian had posted something on facebook and it was uh, an article on audio media international it was an opinion piece of yours and ian gave you props for it and i i read it and also followed suit and gave you props i like what you had to say and uh the funny thing was is that prior to that article coming out ian and i had been talking about this very thing about other engineers casting judgment over gear choices and you talked about this in this opinion piece, which I sent Ian a message. I said, this is very timely or considering <laughs> our, our conversation the other day. So what, what has been your experience, whether you've experienced it yourself or witnessed it yourself uh, with other engineers casting judgment and about gear or other things like that? Um, well, there's been a few things. Like some engineers you meet and they're totally lovely and... It's not about what gear you use or where you engineer or even your location in the country. But sometimes you'll go to a networking event and other engineers will almost feel threatened. They want, I don't know if you've seen Little Britain, but there's a there's a sketch on that called The Only Gay in the Village. <laughs> um, <laughs> and so uh, there's a couple of engineers who I've met that sort of want to be the only engineer in the village. Okay. And they seem to feel threatened by the people. So it's all like gear and their name dropping. And it it's like, come on, man. I don't want to talk about gear to you. I look at gear all day, every day. I want to network and have a nice time. <laughs> there's that. And then there's um, there seems to be a culture on Facebook of groups about engineering, which is fine. But then all the engineers adding engineers as friends on Facebook which again is fine but when they're sort of adding them to check out the competition or something it just feels a bit like you are being judged it's like come on wait and listen to what I can do before you judge me on the gear I'm using so now I don't you know my website has no um, gear mentions on it I think the only thing on there is when I got a new EQ I was really pleased about it and that's literally the only thing I won't tell people mm. what I use and it's not because I'm a mastering engineer and it's not because I'm secretive if anyone wants to come to my studio and have a look they can do that it's just it gets boring after a while you know there's better things to think about I mean if you were to hire a, a contractor uh, to help build your house I mean contractors don't have lists of I use the following hammers and <laughs> I use the proper kind of nails and, you know, these type of screws. They just don't do that. They they show the work and they're judged on their work. And and it's funny that in our world of audio, it's 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 isn't it odd that people really do judge on on our tools? It is odd. That's actually a really good analogy. I don't know what it is. It's like I think that's another reason I, I don't want to bang on about this because it's it's been said and it's done and it's also quite a boring issue now. Um, but I do mm. think that that's why there aren't as many female engineers because they're more focused on actually getting the job done. And I think when they feel like they're only being judged on their tools, that's when they decide that they don't want to engineer anymore. Mm-hmm. Or when they see that it's a boys club and they're just talking about boys toys i don't mean to be massively sexist there because obviously i know a lot of male engineers who don't give a shit either sorry <laughs> if i'm not allowed to swear by the way oh no swear um, <laughs> okay awesome <laughs> i don't know i get how it's it's nice to be excited about gear but it's not um it's not 
the only thing to think about when hiring someone or, mm-hmm. you know, a piece of gear doesn't mean that someone can do a job better than someone else. That's for damn sure. Absolutely. Also, the, here's the thing. I went to uni and also worked at a studio after and many, many studios. And not all the gear was amazing. And a lot of gear at studios was broken. And like having old broken gear really, really improves your skills as an engineer. Like it's going to, if you can make something that's a bit shitty sound amazing, you're going to be a better engineer than someone who's got like mega books, converters and microphones and, you know, mood lighting in your studio. It's about the end result. And so if you can work with what you've got, I think that that's a really good skill to have. What drew you to mastering? Oh, that was a completely accidental career path. Mm-hmm. So I always wanted to make music in the studio, traditional engineer and a bit of production. And that's mm-hmm. where I started out. And I was constantly trying to make my mixes sound better because mixing has never been a strong point. I love recording and record mm-hmm. engineering. That's great. But my mixes have always sounded a bit shit. They've never been where they should be, no matter how much I practice. I just never seem to get the hang of it. And so some guy told me, I don't know who who told me, so if whoever gave me this advice is listening, drop me a line because I'd like to remember. Say hi. But uh, he said, if you want to learn how to make your mixes better, learn how to master first. And that's probably really dodgy advice, but whoever that guy is, he did change my career. So thanks. So Mm -hmm. what happened is I used to work in a studio and I used to take all the mixers home and practice mastering on them. And then when we get the commercial mixers through from the proper mastering engineer in the proper studio, I used to compare mine and see how I could make mine sound more like theirs, Uh, which was really, really fun and really good practice. And I grew to like it. And then one day, this guy who we had mutual friends, but I didn't know him, added me on Facebook. And I was a bit sort of like, what do you want? You know? (laughs) (laughs) And um, (laughs) so he said, oh, mastering engineer has gone away on holiday. Can you you master something for me? So I said, well, I'm not a mastering engineer, but I'll have a go. And if it's shit, just don't use it. So yeah, had a go at this album for him, sent it back. He loved it, used it. And off the back of that, I got um, quite a big, well, it was quite a big album at the time. And so it's still one of the biggest things I've done, actually, in terms of like reach and stuff. Mm. Um, and then off the back of that, I got loads more jobs and it, it was very much learning on the job. You know, (laughs) there was never a point where I was like, okay, now I'm a proper mashing engineer. That's only been in the last year or something. So since like 2012, when my first job was to now it's been totally a learning process, but it's been really, really cool. And, uh, now it's my job, which is awesome, but it is a very, I don't know, very accidental career path, but I'm really, really grateful to James who sort of sought me out on Facebook and stuff. Um, Mm. I still master for him now, which is awesome as well. He's one of really, he's a really amazing producer. I do love that quote and I actually highlighted it in in my notes. The, someone told me that if I wanted to, you know, I should master if I want my mix is better. I actually pulled that off your website. I think personally, I see the the value in that advice because that, that mastering view really gives you the broader view of a good mix or a bad mix. And if you can identify that, then I'm sure you've discovered, you know, you're probably a better mix engineer now than 
than you have been in the past, I, I would venture to say. Yeah, I think um, I definitely could balance a mix a lot quicker now. But it's all the creative decisions. So I've sort of realized that I'm actually not a very creative person, which, you know, when you, you go through like life trying to become a producer and be a creative person, to realize that you're not is quite heartbreaking. But also it was a bit of relief where I was like, actually, you know what? I don't think I am. I think I'm very, I don't know what the word would be. I'm quite methodical in the way I work and there are some like mastering techniques that I use which are very creative like I never have a set process to my mastering I approach every everything I do very differently mm-hmm. but it is all sort of frequency frequency analysis and dynamics it's not should parallel compression be a thing here I don't get do you know what I mean like I yeah. don't get it <laughs> Um, so yeah, as much as I would have liked to, it just didn't happen, which is fine. When you first started mastering, what were the challenges, the technical or the logistical challenges that, that you were coming up against where you were, you know, trying to find your way? What, what are some of the things that come to mind? Well, for a start, I didn't have a mastering studio, which doesn't seem like a big thing, but, um, yeah, so God, (laughs) this is going to be really embarrassing now, but I was mastering in Cubase. I did not okay. have any like proper mastering plugins and I certainly didn't have any outboard gear. So I was trying to, you know, do my best um with some stock plugins. Uh-huh. Um and then I got some Sonox stuff which was a bit nicer and you know obviously my studio's grown over the past few years. But yeah, it was quite um aware how do I do this with the very limited stuff that I do have? Because I'd been a recording engineer, I've got loads of microphones and I've got compressors and stuff, but that's not, you you, you don't use that for mastering. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, and so it was a, it was quite a gear thing, but instead of going out and buying things, because you don't know what you're going to like. And mm-hmm. so I spent a while, you know, and I didn't even know it was going to be my career. So I spent a while mastering in Cubase with stock plugins just to see if I liked it really and then acquired more bits slowly I think. Did you ever consider mastering out of the box or did you say well I like this in the box workflow or how did it evolve what did it evolve into? I did consider mastering out of the box but I wasn't entirely confident so monitoring something that I wanted to get settled first because mm. I think you can have all the outboard gear in the world, but unless your monitoring's right, it's going to sound a bit ropey. And mm-hmm. so monitoring was one of the things that I wanted to get. That That's the first expense. And then after that, that's when outboard gear sort of came. But again, with outboard gear, it was bit by bit slowly because I didn't know what I liked and I'd never used any of this before. So yeah, I continued mashing in the box, but improving my monitoring, you know, learning how to how monitoring works in a room a little bit about Mm -hmm. room acoustics how to set up your speakers so that they sound good and actually learning about the speakers that i had so i had genlex but until that point they'd probably never been set up correctly for my room um and so that was quite a learning curve and then investing in more monitors so that you can compare and also headphones just for checking stuff so that was like the first 
big thing for me because I still didn't know that mastering was going to be a career. For me, it was just something that, you know, it was a one-off thing, still engineering in studios as a job. It was not um, a career. Yeah, slowly over time, it you know, you just get more and more work and then you think, well, if I'm getting more mastering work, you want to start investing your money that you're making into gear better gear so you can do a better job Mm -hmm. so your workflow is 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 easier yeah definitely and so you've got some nicer toys as well (laughs) i think (laughs) you know gear isn't everything but it is you do want some things you want a good quality product at the end of it so it's a little bit of a quandary too i would imagine because you have maybe you have success with a client using the tools you have and once they're happy, then you've got some money and you think, well, okay, I could go and, and buy something new, but what I had worked. Did you ever have that discussion with yourself of why change if what I'm doing is working? Yes, I did. But part of part of this is for my, um, I like to develop as an engineer, as a mastering engineer. And so I do read about gear online and sort of, you know, think, oh, if I had the money, would I get that? And then obviously mm. the pro and con list comes. <laughs> and um, you sort of think, if I get this, so for example, a new limiter, if I get that, then I'm committed to working out how to use it and how to make it sound good mm-hmm. because you've spent so much money on it. <laughs> and so that yeah. keeps you progressing as an engineer. I think if I was using the same, the same thing, constantly i think i'd just get bored i don't think i'd want to do it so i think you do need you do need new gear to keep it interesting and to keep you mm-hmm. learning but then obviously the stuff that you're working on is always different and that keeps you learning as well so there's sort of two parts to it yeah it's nice if the music changes then it keeps it fresh and probably saves saves your bank account a, a little bit <laughs> so you For don't sure. always rely on changing the gear to to mix it up According to your website, you pretty much do unattended mastering sessions. I uh, do. And do you, do you prefer that? Yeah, I think because I'm like, comparatively, I'm still quite new at this. And mm-hmm. if someone, I'm quite a people person, I'll happily chat to someone. And if they're there in the room to, with me, we'll probably end up talking about cats. And, <laughs> you know, I've got to get on and do this work because they want, they want the job doing. So if they're sat here with me, and also I find that quite often, because I have done attended mastering sessions, and sometimes a client has come and they've thought, oh, um, my mixers are really bass heavy. And I listen to them and I say, well, they're not. And they say, yes, we feel like they are. And then it almost influence. well, it definitely does influence your decision on how you go about it from having them there in the room and I've not quite mastered those people skills yet of how to talk them down off like pre-made decisions when it might not be the right decision obviously I'm always open to a client's suggestion Mm -hmm. but they might not have been listening in a room which is entirely suitable you know they might have taken it home and listened to it in the bedroom and you don't know what they're listening to it on yeah, that's that's the hardest thing, I think, about attended sessions. And I don't feel like I'm quite there yet. But it's something I'd like to do in future, but I just need to uh, 
I think I need to be more confident in my own ability and also have those people skills to say, can I just have a go at playing with this first before I take on your advice? I much prefer unattended work uh, when it comes to mixing or mastering because it's, like you say, I mean, you definitely are influenced by things they say and you might be doing things at the moment that please them when that may not be the right decision. And I think musicians' critical listening skills are slightly different than a traditional mixing or mastering engineer's listening skills. It, I think they're they're listening for different things in it, or listening in a different way. Because I think musicians do have critical listening skills. But yeah, it's that's a tough one. And some people are very adamant to be uh, in attendance. It, it's a tricky one. It's really nice to... Um... It is nice to have people here when you're working on their music because it's their project, it's their baby. It, yeah, it is great, but it is harder, definitely. You know, many artists are not 100% sure what mastering is. I think <laughs> I, I think you would agree. Yes. Uh, so what do you think draws an artist to a particular mastering engineer? What is it that convinces them they need to go with one person over another when they're not 100% sure of what it is in the first place? I think the thing that convinces someone is it's not really the ability or how long you've been doing it. It's more, is the person honest? Like, I'm really blunt with clients. If the mix doesn't sound as good as it could, I'll tell them. And I think they really appreciate that. So it's that sort of level of honesty and trust, which is really important. And then obviously like past credits. So if you've worked on music that they like or in that particular scene, which they're in, I think that can be a deciding factor as well. But yeah, I think trust is like definitely the main thing. And you also want to work with someone who you get on with. You know, someone could be the most amazing mastering engineer in the world, but they're a bit of a dick you sort of don't want to you know spend ages on the phone to them talking about what they want from this project or bouncing a few emails back and forth do you so yeah I think that's a big part too do you feel that it's sometimes there's a tussle between the mix engineer the artist who's in the middle and the mastering engineer maybe the mastering engineer says like you were saying Hey, I don't think the mix is really, I think the mix is a little challenged here. Maybe you need to reapproach this, but maybe they've already unloaded a bunch of money on the mix engineer and the mix engineer has definitely got an opinion. So do you ever get into that dynamic of, you know, the, the artist in the middle on the either side of the mixing and, yeah, the, and the mastering engineer? Occasionally. So I had one record um, a couple of weeks ago, brilliant record. And um, so the artist was sending me the tracks for mastering. So occasionally I just deal directly with mix engineers, which is great because, you know, we can just have a really open conversation and it makes the process a lot quicker. But the artist who I really love sent me the tracks and we got everything sounding how we wanted. And it was, you know, nice. But there was one track which I found really, really hard because of the mix. It didn't really have one standout element. So you can sort of, you can sit tracks next to each other in an album and keep them consistent regardless of the backing if there's one element that you can tie in. 
and that's normally mm. how I work on an album um say a vocal that's got a very prominent vocal which this one did whereas one of the tracks didn't have the prominent vocal but it didn't have anything that replaced it and so on the whole it gave the impression that that track was quieter even though really that track wasn't quieter and so to make it sound in keeping with the rest of the album i did have to limit it quite a lot so there's Mm -hmm. that challenge of the mix engineers like hey the rest is beautifully dynamic but this one track you've squashed my mix and i'm like yeah but unless you want to change your mix so that it does sit with the rest of the album i'm gonna have to keep it squashed which is hard when you are going through the artist because the artist doesn't necessarily understand the technical language that you're using and so that is definitely a challenge but you can usually come to some sort of a compromise. And if the mix engineer was like, hey, I really don't want this track that squashed because the rest of the album isn't, I'd have been like, you know what? If the artist doesn't want it either, I'll I'll do whatever you guys want. I think you do have to sort of facilitate things sometimes, definitely. It's easy to get into uh, an argument over, you know, stylistic questions with mixes and such. And Yeah, for and- sure. Everybody's got an ego in the game. I mean, the mix engineer is definitely going to, you know, feel heard. What, what do you mean the mastering engineer doesn't like my mix? Well, like is uh, a strong word. <laughs> <laughs> what, what have you found is the best method of billing clients? Is it by the hour, by the project, by the song? What have you, what have you found works for you? So I charge by the track. Now, some tracks, I will go back to that master so many times and they'll even send me different mixes because they've heard it limited for the first time and they weren't expecting it to sound louder and now all of a sudden it sounds louder they don't want to hear as much of something in the track and so sometimes Mm -hmm. I will work on you know you'll get the ones that are really really easy to master and that's a joy but it's also really nice when you do have to spend ages on a track and it's that sort of challenge and it feels great when you get it done. So I charge by the track, even though you do spend longer on some than the other, because it tends to balance out. And mm-hmm. also I do feel like the ones where you go back to and constantly make revisions, they probably won't believe how much time you spent on it if you did charge them by the hour. So it also is probably quite better to do it by the track. And that was that was one of my questions. How do you handle revisions in terms of time spent versus billing versus trying to you know just take care of the artist that that quandary yeah at the end of the day because i am so new to this i like to make sure that everyone's happy and it is really really hard but i don't want to you know i'm i'm still building my reputation i don't want to get a reputation for like overcharging and not delivering a really good project i want i think you you have to like if i have to spend a couple of extra hours on a project and not make any money I don't really care as long as that sounds amazing. So at the end of the day, I'm doing this because I love music. I'm not doing this because I ever thought I would be really, really rich from working in the music industry. (laughs) What? (laughs) Exactly. Um, You sort of go into this knowing that you're not really going to make a lot of money and that's fine. So I think as long as you're aware of that, you don't mind putting in extra hours. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I don't know. It's such a hard one because like... When you see people or see friends with maybe a really well-paying full-time job in an office and they're not having to, you know, deal with people or buy their own equipment 
and it's a steady income, you're sort of like, well, I can totally see why they do that. But then they don't get to do something they love. Well, I don't know. They might love it, but it's not what I love. And so I don't mind putting in the extra hours. I'd rather quality, not quantity. I like that. Do you provide ISRC codes to clients or do you ask them to acquire them? How does that work for you? So um, most of the clients I work are British and what they have to do to get an ISRC code is they um, they go to the PPL website mm-hmm. and then they register their tracks. I've never done it before because I'm not an artist, but they'll get given um, like an artist reference code and also obviously a country code, which is normally either GB or UK. And so they'll give me that code and then I'll create the rest of the code based on you know, number of tracks, how many releases they've had prior to this. Um, so it, it's it's normally a combination. <laughs> They'll get okay. the original artist code, which is unique to them, and then I'll build the rest of the code. Got it. Okay. But it's a good topic, though, because ISRC codes are something which very few artists know about. And yeah. I often find myself having to explain all this, which is fine. But they're like, what? I didn't even know that this was a thing. And so it can make the mashing process take longer, but I to- like, I wouldn't ever put anyone's track out there without a code on it, just because if they ever want to release it or if they get played on the radio or, you know, it's used for sync music at all, that means they're not going to get that royalty if the code's not on it, or at least not as easily. Do you... Um... Don't some services out there provide ISRC codes? Ditto does, yeah. So Ditto will do the legwork for you, but you have to pay extra. Okay. Um, And so I always recommend people just go to PPL and do it themselves because it's just way cheaper and they're in control of it that way. And is PPL a a European-based setup or is it worldwide? Um, it's UK based, but it deals with worldwide royalties. I think. Okay, I'm not totally I'll have to sure check on that. that. Out. Yeah, I'll, I'll put a link in the show notes to that. I, okay. I think you have a link on your website. If I if I'm correct. Yes, I do. Do you ever get bored mastering and want to mix a record? No, no, never. Okay. <laughs> that's that's like the bluntest question you've asked me today. I like that. Um, <laughs> no, I've I've never ever wanted to mix a record. You know, I don't know where I'd start. Like I definitely, so I still produce occasionally for the right project. I definitely sometimes feel the need to produce or to engineer a record, but I never feel the need to mix anything, even a Mm. rough mix. Like (laughs) I try and get whoever's assisting me to do that. I don't want to do that. (laughs) I think it's just because, I don't know, I've got a bit of complex about mixing. You know, if you just like when I was trying to learn, and I was comparing my mixes to other people's. I just thought they never sounded as good. So yeah, yeah I never ever get the get the urge to it mix ever. Katie Tavini here on the Working Class Audio Podcast. Uh, we're going to pause for a second here and uh, talk about our friends over at Audio Technica. You know, with the holidays fast approaching, I'm always reminded that my wife and my in-laws are inevitably going to ask me what I want for Christmas. And truthfully, this is always a dilemma for me because I really don't want much other than to be younger. And of course, that's not going to happen. So I do like audio-based gifts, but I always feel guilty 
because of the many things I want or would mention are financially, you know, really kind of too much to ask for. Really, I feel kind of uncomfortable. But I'm always keeping my eye out for things that I like audio-wise that are affordable for others that, that want to give them as gifts. So uh, this year, I want to mention to you that Audio-Technica has made the 2017 AT Audio Gift Guide. You can head over to audio-technica.com and check it out. Plus, I'll add that link in the show notes for you. This way, rather than giving out gift suggestions of things you don't really want or will not use, uh, you can get something useful in your everyday audio life, you know? Check it out at audio-technica.com. Well, that's it. Let's get back to our chat with Katie Tavini here on the Working Class Audio Podcast. With regards to how you do mastering and loudness levels and all and all that, I don't know. Do you ever get a record together for somebody and you present it to them? And do you have the the constant, yeah, it sounds great. Can you make it louder? All the time. Knowing what we know and where we've been with the loudness wars, I won't go down that rabbit hole, but loudness across the board, whether it's Tidal, Spotify, Apple, they're changing things out in the world of tech so that things aren't, you know, jumping over the zero hurdle. But it seems that people still want stuff loud because they get, I don't know, they get insecure, I guess, and they just want it that way. So how do you handle your clients when you think it should be at a certain level and they are, they're trying to push you for for more loudness? It's such a difficult one because people do still want it really, really loud all the time. I mastered one today and it, oh, it makes me cringe thinking about it. So it goes back to what I was saying before about being a facilitator. At the end of the day, if that's what the client wants, then they're paying for it. So you, you know, occasionally I have asked people to go and find another mastering engineer if they, you know, if I think a project is Hmm. really, really good, but we're sort of not getting on in terms of they want it really, really loud and I think it's going to ruin the project. Mm -hmm. I have said, you know, please, I can't do this to your music. (laughs) Uh, I like it too much to ruin it. Um, Go and Mm -hmm. find another mastering engineer. But yeah, I've I've just done one today where, you know, my limiter was constantly hitting like minus, it was going to minus four always. And the, you know, the track was just, it looks like it's square, Mm. you know, on the waveform afterwards. And so you're like, yeah, it's such a weird one because I feel like it damages my reputation as a mastering engineer to make stuff that loud. But at the end of the day, you've got to pay bills. So if it's something for an unsigned band and they're just doing it because they're young lads, they want, this is what they want it to sound like. You can explain to them, well, if it gets played on radio, it's not going to sound good. But if it's something where they're probably not going to get played on radio and they really, Mm. really want it like that, then you've just sort of got to say, yeah, okay. I've explained it to you as much as I possibly can. (laughs) If you still want it, I will do it but it's going to sound rubbish. Yeah. It's such a hard decision to make because at the end of the day, we are making a living from this. And I think that there's definitely a change in engineers. You know, a lot of the mixes I'm getting now are way more dynamic than they ever used to be. But then it is the artist that sometimes doesn't realise, especially with dance music, you know, they really want it. They want it louder than the next track. And then louder than the next track. 
Mm. And it, it's it's really, really hard to sort of get the message across of, oh, it'll sound a lot nicer and people want to listen to it longer and they'll probably dance for longer and it'll sound better over a club system if it's not. You know, you can just turn it up. You can literally just use the volume knob and turn it up. It doesn't need to be limited. But I don't think they completely understand that. <laughs> They're not aware that the volume knob exists. <laughs> I know. Bless them. You get some artists who are totally clued up on this. But, yeah. you know, you can you can have a really... It's like, say, if you ate five sandwiches and they were all mm. amazing and then the sixth one you ate was a rubbish sandwich, you'd remember the rubbish one. And so I can have loads and loads of artists who are really, really, this is a rubbish analogy, by the way, but you can have loads of artists <laughs> who are um, really clued up about, you know, it's going to sound better if it's more dynamic, You'll mm. it'll sound better on radio, etc. It'll sound better on iTunes. Um, but the one that doesn't and the one that wants it smashed sort of does ruin it for everyone. And that's the one you remember, which is quite sad. So I think like any engineer, if you're an engineer and you're listening to this, tell the artist how important it is because Katie said so. That's right. <laughs> Katie says dynamic range rules. Hell yeah. Here's a, here's a rubbish uh, analogy for you. To me, it, I, it makes me think of someone that you're cooking, a say, a steak for, and they want it really rare, like so rare that it's unsafe. <laughs> that it's like, well... <laughs> We better cook this a little longer. No, no, no. I like it bloody. Absolutely bloody. But you try to tell them. Anyway, I'm beating a dead horse or a dead cow in this case. Um, <laughs> how do you handle work-life balance in your world? Oh, that's a hard question. It is difficult because, you know, even if you take a day off and you get emails come in, say if I go out with friends... I do check my emails while I'm with friends, which is really, really rude. But if I don't, you know, if I get a potential job or an inquiry and I don't respond straight away, they'll just go to someone else. And so it's really, really hard to sort of say, okay, I'm not going to check my phone. I'm not going to check my emails because if you do miss out, then you miss out on work. And because you don't have the steady full-time job, that's what you need to do to survive. And so, yeah, it is hard. It is really hard. Or, you know, if if you schedule a day off, but you get a, a full album job in, mm -hmm. that's like the equivalent of someone getting a promotion. So you want to do that because otherwise you're not going to be able to afford to see mates. And it is really, really tough juggling it. There's um, there's definitely a cutoff point though. Like I've just had a week, a week off. I didn't do any mastering. I put out on all my social media, I won't be in the studio between these dates. And it made it, you know, it made it official if I got an inquiry into my email and they, you know, they hadn't seen my website or my social media that I was going to be away. I had to say no to it because I didn't have, you know, I wasn't in my studio. I didn't have the luxury of having, oh yes, I can just go to a different studio and do this. And also I didn't want to do that because you do need downtime. I think it is the hardest part of being freelance. I mean, do you ever just get to a point where you're like, I do not want to hear any more music for like <laughs> uh, a week or two weeks. I'm just, I'm burnt out. There are weeks where I don't listen to music outside of mastering for sure. Also, like if I, 
you know, if I'm on the bus or something or I'm traveling, I tend not to listen to music. I tend to have music on in the studio, like as a, as a background music. And sometimes when I sit down and listen to music, it's a record and I listen to the full album. Music's become quite disposable recently. So you see a group of kids and they've all got one ear in in the headphones. So they're only listening to one side of the audio and they're talking over the top of it and they're all having conversations and they're not listening to it. It's just background noise. And people have sort of stopped valuing real background noise. So like a dog barking or like, birds and that sort of stuff or traffic going past and i think that's really cool Mm -hmm. like i um i produced an album for one of my friends dan um on the it's it's a concept album it's a bit crazy so he's a composer and he composed a different track about each london underground tube line each track is the the color of the tube line correlates to what key he hears that colour to be. It's going to take some explaining this. <laughs> and each track is the, um, the mm. what do you call it? The structure of each tube line. And so it's a, it's a crazy concept album. And when we were doing the album, I didn't, I didn't get it. Like it took me a long time to get it. But now when I'm on the tube... I'm listening to all those sounds and the people talking and the, you know, each tube line does have a different atmosphere. And I'm like, yeah, I get it. So there's, you know, there's a lot of nice things happening in background noise. But um, yeah, I do like sitting down and listening to an album in full on proper speakers. Is the name of the album Mind the Gap? <laughs> no. <laughs> That's the bonus material. I'm joking. <laughs> no, it's called Changing Stations. I mean, you know, it it sounds funny, but it actually is kind of a cool idea, a cool concept. Yeah, yeah, it was really interesting to work on. And, you know, we got a lot of um, commuters, not just Londoners, but people from like all over the country, all over the world, who used the London Underground to commute to record voiceovers about their experiences. Um, And so we worked that into the album as well. So it's not just music, it's speech um, and also like location recordings of the actual tube lines themselves. So it's quite a cool, cool album. Took ages. <laughs> oh, I like that. I'm, I might have to check that out. That sounds actually very interesting. Sweet. What do you think are the essential elements to getting and keeping clients? I saw in a Facebook group the other week about what happens when a client goes to a different engineer and this poor guy was horrified that someone he'd worked with had decided to record their next project with someone else. And I was like, mate, get over it. They can go to whoever they want. Like, it is really nice when you get someone that you you work with them for lots of projects and you have a working relationship with them. They're going to get more out of using different people, and I encourage that. So, you know, I have a few producers that I'm the go-to mastering engineer. But if they could want to go to someone else for a project, go for it because it keeps things interesting. You know, they can compare. It makes me work harder as a mastering engineer to go, all right, you know, I need some cash. Let's uh, <laughs> let's do my next project for them extra good. It keep, You know, it keeps you on your toes. And it's also really nice because I find that if someone does go to a few different engineers, it keeps them learning as well. And then their mixes progress or their productions progress. So it's good for mm-hmm. everyone. That's an interesting com- conversation about 
the engineer speaking about on Facebook, you know, horrified at his client going to somebody else. I've met an engineer uh, in my past who was incredibly territorial, would just really complain about artists going to somebody else. And I was always like, you're not their keeper. You're not, <laughs> you're not in control of them. That's, that's their decision. Obviously, they want to try somebody else. You know, give it a break. Um, and, and I say that at the same time, I have, you know, had clients go to other people. And when you see that, you know, I'm not going to sit here and tell you with a straight face that, you know, oh, I never get offended. You know, sometimes I'm like, oh, that, that sucks. Mm, oh, well. You know, I don't, I don't try to fight it, but it definitely, it definitely can hurt one's feelings a bit. You kind of think, hmm, how, how could I have done a better job so they didn't want to do that? But but I think that's good, though, because it's making, like, I think people don't, like, do self-analysis enough and they don't have that yeah. conversation. So to have something that makes you do that is really, really good. Like, that's going to make you better as an engineer. Have you ever fired a client? Yes. Well, no. Fired's a weird word that's like they're working for me or something where it's, it's the <laughs> other way around. But I have said to people in the past I, I can't work with this I had like bless him I had one poor guy constantly sending me stuff in mono um <laughs> even <laughs> like I know some people are probably thinking but was it supposed to be in mono and no it wasn't um because we right. did have that conversation and so he just couldn't get his head around um exporting it in stereo even though I gave him really detailed uh instructions on how to do it and then yeah, I just had to say, I'm sorry, maybe go and, he was based in America, so I had to go and say, you know, maybe actually go where you can take your laptop and sit with someone for a little bit. Americans. <laughs> Americans. I would have helped um, him if he was nearer, but there's a big bloody pond in the way. Yeah, there's a little bit of a commute involved. Yeah. What are your favorite methods for continuing to to educate yourself, to learn, to just gather knowledge where where do you seek those those forms of knowledge i feel like i'm constantly improving from having clients with from all different sort of backgrounds you know i get clients who recorded stuff themselves in their home studio all the way up to big commercial recordings and so there's lots of differences in those recordings that i can use to learn which is really useful but then also I find networking with other engineers, not necessarily on Facebook or on forums, but more in real life, just sort of listening to what they have to say. I find forums are great, you know, if you want to look, you know, if you've got a piece of gear that you're stuck or you want to know more about a specific technique, that's great. But I think learning is easier when it's coming from someone in real life because you can ask questions like you can on a forum, but you're probably going to get trolled if someone thinks it's ridiculous. Oh yeah, <laughs> and so which goes back to our earlier discussion about yeah, casting judgment. I d I don't want to do that. I d I don't want right. to have to deal with that. And so I'd much rather you know go to events, meet people in real life, try and sit in the studio with other engineers. I've got a lot of friends who are especially mix engineers. I know loads of great mix engineers. So if I can go and sit with them for an afternoon and just watch the mix that's really really useful or mm. um so uh, matt from alchemy mastering invited me 
down for an afternoon and I just sat with him in his studio we just chatted and that conversation I learned so much even though we weren't necessarily talking about any specific technique mm-hmm. um so I prefer to learn that way rather than sort of the online way. Do you have any mentors or ha- have you had mentors in the past for audio or for business that that you can cite? I haven't, no. And that's something that I sort of really have struggled with this past year. Like mm-hmm. it, it suddenly um, <laughs> had a bit of a breakthrough at the start of this year. And I was like, oh my God, this is a business. So I started doing some online courses for business Mm-hmm. which totally makes sense. But all of them recommended getting a mentor. And I was like, I I just don't know anyone that would like have the time to mentor mm-hmm. me or who do I ask or, you know, that sort of thing. And it is hard. There's, um, there's a book I've been reading, which is called Lean In by Sheryl Sandberg. And oh, okay, sure. It's great. Um, and she really discusses not only having mentors in in business, but uh, women approaching mentors. And when I read that section, I was like, yes, I get it. So she was basically saying that women, instead of developing a relationship with someone, they just outright will ask someone, will you be my mentor? Whereas a guy will tend to, this is totally generalizing, but a guy will tend to build up a relationship with someone and just keep going back to them and asking them questions Whereas the girl's more worried about actually having an official mentor, which mm-hmm. I think totally makes sense. And so, yeah, it's been a little bit of a, a breakthrough year for me, this. So I sort of was a bit like, oh, no, I don't have a mentor. Do I need one? I probably need one. Everyone's saying I should have one, but who can it be? That sort of thing. And then I did realize, you know, it'll happen when it happens. So I'm, I'm still looking for people that I can ask questions to. But I'm asking questions to my friends. I'm asking questions to, you know, people who are doing the same job as me, people who aren't doing the same job as me, going to events, talking to people. And then hopefully, you know, I'll get into a sort of mental relationship that way. But reading Cheryl's book definitely made me go, all right, yeah, I'm not going to force this because it's probably not going to be helpful to anyone. Okay, so Lean In by Sheryl Sandberg. I'll put that in the, in the show notes. Yeah, it's a great book for anyone who's interested in progressing in their career. Mm-hmm. So it is more aimed at people who want to get higher up in an office-based job. But it's definitely um, definitely a good read if you're a free- freelancer as well, because it's got some really good points. On that topic, do you seek information from uh, about business or being being an, um, a freelancer from outside sources outside of the world of audio fairly often? Yeah. So this is a thing that um, not many people talk about. It's a bit taboo in the, the music industry, but a lot of mm-hmm. people have like a job or a side gig part-time, you know, yeah. especially when they're starting off. And so I, I had a job part-time marketing and that gave me such a good um background so you know I, I've not got any experience marketing other than that one job I probably wasn't qualified for the job at all but um it gave me experience general marketing social media SEO website user experience all of that stuff adds up and you can put that into practice and so when people say oh I can't believe you're a mastering engineer but you've got a part-time job at 
in marketing, it's actually helping me with my, you know, with my mastering career as a business. And so I, th- I think that's been really, really worthwhile doing and it helped pay the bills for a while. So I think that would be great. You know, I think that a lesson in marketing is something a lot of audio freelancers could use. And some of the some of the knowledge that you've gained from from that gig, I'm sure, has really, really helped. Absolutely. Like personal branding and stuff. So even just curating an Instagram feed, finding people on Instagram who might be interested in you, um, how not to do a post on Facebook. So don't fill your Facebook posts with hashtags because they're basically pointless and they look messy. Um, just sort of, it's all common sense, like keeping all all your online stuff really tidy and easy to find and having all the information in one place that a lot of people don't really think about. And I think mm-hmm. that, that can really affect getting jobs especially now that online is such a big thing like I'd say 80% of my work comes through my website and so before I had this job my website was um, a bit of a jumble because I didn't think about it you know what order do you have your like header tabs in what journey is the uh, is the client going to take on your website it all matters but we think well we're audio engineers this doesn't matter to us but it does, like it affects, it affects your business. Um, mm-hmm. And I think that's, um, that's a really big part of this because we are mostly freelancers. It's interesting you say that because right now my website is in a holding pattern because I, I put a, I, I kind of stopped broadcasting it and just put a holding page up because I'm redoing it and I'm just, it's a constant battle for me. I always think, I have these conversations like you say, you know, well, what order should I put this in and who's coming to the website and what should I present? And these are things I think a lot of us don't think through. We focus a lot on, well, if I buy the, you know, if I buy the, if I spend an extra thousand dollars on a pair of speakers, then, you know, certainly I'm going to get more business, <laughs> but, but that's just not the, not the case. And I'm curious, the social media things that you mentioned, do you have one central location? Like, I know that there's some apps, and I'm I'm spacing on the name of them, and maybe you could remind me if you know. Uh, like a central app you can go to and post one thing that hits all the social media things at once, so you don't have to make a stop at Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, you know. See, I tend to do them separately. Okay. There probably are apps that you can get, but I, I'm not sure that there would be. Well, I'm not sure of them. I've never used them before. Um, Mm -hmm. But the reason why I've not looked into any apps like that, because I know that um, Hootsuite, you can share stuff to Facebook and Twitter. I don't know if you can share to Instagram from it, but you'd want to approach a post differently and maybe even post it at different times. So if you've got Instagram, if your Instagram account is a business account, you can actually see when most of your followers are online which is a really, really useful tool. And so I might post something on Instagram three hours later than I posted it on Twitter, just because more people are going to see it at that time. So to post it at the same time on everything, Mm. you sort of missing a trick there. And also Twitter, I tend to make the caption more snappy if there's a photo to go with it. Whereas Facebook, Mm. I think people really appreciate if you can write a little bit more and give some more information. And so I tend to tailor all of my posts um, to the platform that I'm putting them on. 
what is your relationship to money and money management? Are you, as it pertains to your audio business? I was a slow learner and it's taken me years to kind of get on equal footing. So I'm curious what your thoughts are for yourself. I was also a really slow learner. It's something that because I really enjoy my job, I don't see it as work all the time. And so there've been instances where I'm like, oh yeah, I'll just do that. I'll just do that for the fun of it. And then you realize that you're not invoicing people or you're invoicing them way too late and you're sort of sloppy with all that side of it. And yeah, it is really, really hard. And then you're thinking, oh, well, you know, I need my headphones are just broke. I need some new headphones, but I also need to live and so it is really really hard to manage that you know fortunately I had a part-time job so I was able to rely on that to pay the bills while I was transitioning into Mm -hmm. audio and so yeah I think that definitely helped because there was a period of time where I was able to save everything that I was making from mastering to literally put back into it Mm -hmm. um yeah it's such a hard one though because because it's so work can be so intermittent when you're freelance you know you can have weeks where you're just totally totally busy and then weeks when you're sort of sat around thinking hmm best clean the studio (laughs) and so it is very hard to manage if you had advice for for other engineers in terms of money management what are what are some of the lessons that you've learned that you would say you know oh you need to do this or you need to do that um get a separate account for um for invoices being paid and that way you've not you've not got like your sandwich at tesco every lunchtime coming out of that account and it makes it messy it's much easier to keep track of your invoices and who's paid and not if that's the only thing coming in and going out of that account it also makes it less easy to spend the money if you've got a separate account on sort of you know just trivial everyday things which is one mm-hmm. thing I found um, really useful. Get on mobile banking as well. So if you need to invoice someone there and then, or you, you know, if you're worried about someone having not paid, you can check and then you can send them a quick email when you're on the bus on the way to a job, just being like, hey, just a reminder about this invoice. It's so hard to keep, especially with mastering, because it's such a high turnover like some weeks I can have you know or like today I've mastered for three separate clients and so that's three invoices in one day it's hard to monitor that they're actually coming in and paying them and sometimes you do slip up and you don't notice if someone's not paid until it's way too late and then you're like oh well I best send them an email but it's easier to monitor that if you do have an account where that's the only thing going in and out and you're able to check that Mm-hmm. And then maybe once a month, sending money to your other account. I see. So yeah. you, you pay yourself out of that account. So you have a personal account, which you're doing your day-to-day. Exactly. But then you have your business account where it's just money going in. Yeah. And then the only money going out is generally just to pay yourself. Yes. Or may- maybe studio expenses. It's so much easier to keep track of what's happening if you, or I've found that to be a good system anyway. I've, I think it's a lot easier. I like that idea. Um, and just for you and for the audience, when they, you know, when they hear this, uh, I use a, a product that I pay a, a yearly fee for. It's called Simple Invoices. And you generate the invoice, you know, in the browser window, and then you send it out. And then it's logged in there. 
And so you can always check in and go, oh, they viewed it three weeks ago, but they still haven't sent the check. Hmm. Better better follow up and send it again. Or That sounds great, or actually. I've, or I've sent it three times and they still haven't paid it. I better make a phone call. Yeah, it's it's great. I'll I'll put it once again a link in the show notes and and you know for you, Katie, I'll I'll make sure and send you a link to uh, that'd be to wicked. Follow up, follow up. I with have that. um I have an app called Easy Invoice and it's free. Don't know if Easy you can invoice. get it on um on a PC, but you know you can certainly get it on a Mac, and you can really easily sort of tailor the way your invoice looks, and you know you've got your different clients in there, and it's set out quite nicely. So uh-huh. I'm using that at the moment. I find it a really good tool to have, but I'm certainly always on the lookout for what, you know, what could help me more, what could do mm-hmm. the job better, what could make my life easier. Yeah, all these systems that support what we do, that's that's a whole nother discussion of just like invoicing <laughs> and, you know, uh, client management, um, all these types of things. Um do you have any rituals or habits that you do, like yoga or smoking pot or running <laughs> or praying or s- unicycles? I don't know. Is there anything that you do that is important for you to do to keep your head in the right space? Yeah, definitely. So I got asked to um, to submit my top mastering tips for an article a while ago. And one of my tips mm-hmm. is keep fit. Because if you're sat behind a desk all day and, you know, if you are working with clients, sometimes they'll bring biscuits or cake, which is never a bad thing. <laughs> but, um, you know, if you're if you're feeling fat or tired or, you know, you're not going to be able to perform better. Mm-hmm. And so keeping fit is really, really important. So I do a, I do a lot of yoga, but also cardio. And that way I feel like, right, I've done that. I can now go to the studio and smash it. It puts you in a really good mood. And it's because it's like the opposite, obviously, of sitting behind a desk. It almost energizes you and makes you look forward to work. I generally have not been an exercise-oriented person, you know, and I've tried yoga and different kinds of yoga, hatha yoga, where you do the hot yoga thing. And I just, you know, I just burn out on it. But what I did find, I've always loved swimming, but that can be seasonal. So I found that the one thing, uh, and I've mentioned this in past podcasts, it seems that the common denominator in those that live over the age of 100 is walking. It's free. And unfortunately, here we have a, like a, we have a reservoir and there's a, a path that you can walk around. It's about a three-mile walk. And I do that about three times a week. And that just, I, I find I drink less coffee and I drink a lot of coffee, <laughs> but I find I, I have to drink less coffee to feel alert, and I feel much better. Uh, I think it's you know a much better mentally, much better physically, and just more focused on what I'm doing. I I couldn't agree more with you on on the being fit thing, and I'll add to that. This is also dating back to a long discuss a discussion long ago I had with Michael Beinhorn. We talked about sugar and the effects of sugar on the brain. Sugar is very much like cocaine and and other drugs. And I have completely stopped eating overt sugar, like candy, cookies, cakes, pies, all of that. It's very difficult, and it's the withdrawal symptoms are... I've never been a heroin addict, but I'm sure it's on par with that. (laughs) 
And I find that that has been very helpful too on so many fronts. See, I have to agree with you there. Um, so I've stopped having cups of tea during working hours because I I like sugar in my tea. And I find that that, it, it stop it, it just, it stops you thinking as clearly. I find I can't make a sort of quick informed decisions mm-hmm. when I've been having sugar because you, and caffeine as well, because you're sort of jittery and then you get, you get sort of the slump afterwards and it's not, it doesn't make your working day efficient. And so when you're freelancer, you need to be really efficient to make, make this work. It just doesn't. It doesn't seem practical. Yeah, so. sitting around and 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 eating handfuls of Skittles or M and M's or whatever sugar is your 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 jam, as they say, uh, is just not healthy. Also, on a kind of a, a down note, uh, a friend of mine, a, cl- a friend and a client, many many years ago, who died of cancer, I was sitting at his on his bedside as he was kind of in the end close to the end of his life. And he just, he looked at me and he just said, if I can give you one piece of advice, it's watch the sugar. It'll kill you. And I think recently there's some studies that came out that actually said uh, sugar fuels cancer cells. So it's, you know, I'm not a doctor, I'm not a nutritionist, and I certainly don't want to, you know, try to force people into my way of thinking. But this, this is a decision I made for myself that I'm just really trying to stick stick to my guns on yeah i think you've got to be open-minded about um about trying these things see if they work for you you know like try not having sugar after the withdrawals mm-hmm. c- like continue with it does it work for you probably will but you know yeah it's so weird like diet as well um so i don't eat meat and there's a lot of people that are like oh <gasps> How can you, you know, it's shock horror. Um, <laughs> really? Yeah, yeah. In this day and age, I'm surprised. Funny story. I was in Washington Airport at a Starbucks and it was near to Thanksgiving and um, I was looking through the sandwiches and I was really tired and really hungry. And I literally just wanted like, you know, a cheese sandwich or something and an apple. There was no apples in sight because why would there be? <laughs> uh, it's a Starbucks. I don't think they stock apples, but... I said, yeah, do you, do you have any sandwiches which aren't meat? And they said, yeah, the turkey ones are over there. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, so yeah, it is about finding what works for you and what makes you feel healthier. Mm-hmm. And then, yeah, I think once you're feeling healthy, you, you do a better job of whatever your job is and you live your life better. Well, we are out of time, and I, I just want to thank you so much for taking the time to chat with me. It's been a really great conversation with you here. Thank you for having me. It's been a really nice chat. Yeah, excellent. All right, Katie. Well, thank you so much. Yeah, take care. Speak soon. Katie Tavini here on the Working Class Audio Podcast. Big thanks to Katie for chatting with me. Uh, check out Katie's recent article on Audio Media International. I'll include a link in the show notes uh, over at workingclassaudio.com. Be sure and head over to the site. Uh, where you can, of course, listen to over 150 episodes of Audio Pros telling it like it is in our archives and check out many other things. That's it. We are out of time. We want to thank our crew here at WCA, including Cliff Truesdell, Chuck Smith, and Cole Williams. Also want to thank our sponsors, Gearsluts.com, Audio Technica, Universal Audio, Lawton Audio, and Focal Monitors. And thank you for listening. I appreciate it. Until next time, my friends, take care.
Hey, I know many of you are aware of this, but for those of you that aren't aware, Working Class Audio sponsors the forum over at gearspace.com called Audio Life. And quite simply put, it's a place where audio professionals can go to talk with other audio professionals about things other than audio gear, including life hacks, work-life balance, health and hearing loss. You know, if you want to talk with other audio professionals who can identify with what your lifestyle is like and how it relates to things going on in the world outside of audio, this is a great place to go and check out. So head on over to gearspace.com, check out Audio Life. Many of the same topics that we discuss here on the show on Gearspace.com. So check that out. 